0: Welcome back to the podcast. Happy New Year. Happy January. I am so grateful to be chatting with you today and also to be back to the podcast. I know it's been a little while since we chatted, so this is this is very exciting. First off, before we dive deeper, I wanted to start with a quick check-in. How are we feeling? How are we doing? The holidays can be a stressful time and I know that it's not the easiest for a lot of people. So how are we feeling about that? What was something that you worked through during the end of the year last year? Was there something you worked towards? How was the holiday period for you in general? If you had to put yourself on a scale of 1 to 10, how much better are we feeling about the new year now that it has actually started? And I know everyone has high hopes for 2024. I personally love the new year. And I'm not talking about the holidays, but just specifically New Year's. Like that one day, like 31st December going into 1st, January, I love it. I'm such a fan. I've always been a fan of new books and new chapters starting. I'm, I've am i always been a sucker for opening that first page of that book that I've never read or opening a new notebook to start writing on a page that's never been written on before. And it's just a really exciting feeling for me. When I was younger, one of my beige flags was that, and I can say this retrospectively now, is that I would buy a notebook for every single new activity that I wanted to pursue. I just started dance lesson, new dance journal. I traveled, new travel journal. I started a new job, new journal for that. Point being, I've always loved the idea of new starts and fresh slates and a brand new page. However, as we go into 2024, I have a different perspective to offer. Instead of starting the year with a thousand new things to work towards, what if we started slow? And I'm not saying don't be ambitious, but I think that a huge part of why we burn out towards the end of every year and why the holidays can be, or one of the reasons why the holidays can be such a difficult time, is because we've set ourselves up with mismatched expectations of what we wanted to achieve in the year when we started versus what was actually possible without compromising our mental health or where our headspace was. So I'm proposing a strong, healthy, but a slow start to this year and a productive January. This means more reflections, more temperature checks with yourselves, and honest goal setting. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be productive or you shouldn't do the things that you want to do. I'm just saying maybe we pace ourselves. We have 12 months to go in this year. It just started. There's no reason to unnecessarily set high expectations that we then feel burdened by, um, but rather set smart calculated goals that we feel stronger about when we actually pursue them. You also don't need to have all of your goals penned down on December 31st, so take your time, ease into it, see what you come up with. With that little spiel, welcome back to Turn Off The Ringer and thank you for being here. This year, I am so excited for us to explore the podcast together. I want to be able to bring you the best episodes and create content that I'm really proud of and whether that's carefully curated recommendations of things that I've been enjoying or thoughts and reflections that have really changed my perspective on life. I wanna make sure that we create a community here that lets us grow, that pushes us to think about the not so great stuff in maybe a little bit of a greater way. And so this year we're kicking it off with our first volume of episodes, as I like to call it. Welcome to our professional development era. On the next few episodes of this podcast, I want to explore how together we can get better at what we want to pursue whether that's work whether that's something that you want to professionally excel in whether that's an corporate or entrepreneurial journey that you want to take together i want us to be able to have conversations that help us find our purpose and really find the joy in the things that we're doing in life right now and so with that let's dive right in in the new year while i think it's great to look ahead to new and exciting things i also think a huge thing we have to do to move ahead in life is leave things that don't serve us anymore. And I think in our 20s, we're forced to go through a lot of change and leave a lot of things behind and outgrow a lot of different versions of ourselves. Your 20s is about the constant change and pace of life, right? Like there's this sense of urgency at every age in your 20s, whether that's 21, 25, 26, 23, which I think is what makes it so chaotic. And it's important that we learn to leave things behind or mindsets behind that don't help us be better. I can almost think of each part of my 20s or each age that I've had in my 20s so far and associate it with a specific kind of feeling, right? Like I almost know instinctively when I was 20, this was the theme of that year. Or when I was 21, that was the theme of the year. And I'm sure that's something we experienced through life, but those themes in my 20s so far have been so stark and there's a lot of things that I've had to do to to outgrow perspectives that, that haven't necessarily served me. But I think so far... That the toughest transition for me, and for a lot of other people, has been life post-grad. Once I graduated college, I realized I'm willing to go out on a limb here and say that the culture shock, quote-unquote, you can't see my air quotes right now, but the culture shock I experienced from graduating college and getting into adulthood was way greater in some ways than the culture shock that I faced when I moved from India to the US when I was 18. And life post-grad can be hectic for many reasons. But for me specifically, the biggest adjustment has been work. Not the social life, not exploring a new environment, but a 100% work has been what's taken the hardest for me to get used to. I personally have always enjoyed school and I've always enjoyed learning and being around others that are passionate about the same thing. And so what made work a little bit of an interesting transition for me was that I wasn't in that comfortable classroom setting anymore. And that's a feeling that I know a lot of us can understand because there's this sense of safety and community every time you enter a classroom even if you know nobody in there because you know that they're going through the same things maybe they're in the same phase of life as you and they understand what you might be going through but when we take away from the social aspect of it and look at it academically the point of classrooms and learning has always been to promote curiosity to get you really thinking be critical of what you're talking about and consider multiple ways or perspectives of looking at a certain issue And while a job can provide all of those things, for the most part, it's pretty straightforward. You enter an industry post-grad and more often than not, it's a specialized industry, meaning that there's lesser room for creativity and curiosity to grow as organically as it did. What I mean by that is, I know so many of my friends who post-grad went into industries like, like healthcare, marketing, something specific in tech, consulting, investment banking, whatever it is, Those industries aren't providing us the same holistic view of society or science or history or machine learning or whatever that one thing is that you could get necessarily in a classroom. And so when you specialize, sometimes it's interesting to get used to that structure that you're put within. And what that classroom setting came with was that sense of structure, a sense of comfort, of routine. You know every semester what classes you're taking, what midterms and finals for that semester look like, and for the most part, you can expect how that class can go for you. All of this to say, when I was in college, I was always able to have foresight and almost map out my progress before it happened in college. I knew which classes were coming, which ones I was gonna take the year after, what my course load looked like, which made me very, very comfortable. Working, on the other hand, has been a little bit different. I realized that in a corporate space, The structure isn't always going to be given to you when it comes to subject matter, but that sometimes it might be something that you have to create as you move along your career, in terms of teaching yourself certain subject matter, in terms of seeking out help when you need it most. The work environment has also meant that 9 times out of 10, I'm working with people that have been in an industry for way longer, decades even, than I have. It feels sometimes like I'm playing catch up on knowing information or piecing it together while people that I'm working with who have that experience are already on to that critical thinking part of the game. And so it's not that my work doesn't require critical thinking or that working doesn't require critical thinking, but it's suddenly felt like a jump that I wasn't prepared for because I realized not everyone I work with is on the same playing field. And that is a completely normal thing. In a lot of ways, working with a diverse set of people, working with people from all age groups and experiences and backgrounds, you learn so much. But right off the bat, experiencing that can be a little stark because you're not just in a room with 22-year-olds anymore. You're in a room with 40-year-olds or 50-year-olds or 30-year-olds or 26-year-olds that could represent the life that you want to live. Only it seems a little tough for you to get there because you feel like you're always just playing catch up, which is why it feels like you're jumping when you aren't prepared. But who really is even prepared for the jump post grad? And in my case, that jump is what led to something within me that I know we've all experienced. Imposter syndrome. Now, Imposter syndrome at work and outside of it is such a real raw feeling, and admitting sometimes that you're feeling a sense of imposter syndrome can be a very difficult conversation to have because I know there oftentimes comes a lot of shame associated with with feeling that sense of imposter syndrome. Um, it's really easy to feel disheartened or even feel smaller than the things that you want to accomplish, and when I'm sitting in that room with people at work who are sometimes speaking in jargon that I don't understand, I do leave feeling disheartened or almost feeling like I'm in a room where I ended up but I don't necessarily know how I got there. Now before starting work, if you asked me if I was confident and felt imposter syndrome, I would say hell no. I knew how hard I'd worked in college, I knew my grades reflected that, I knew I'd built a solid network that had helped me get offers from the companies that I wanted to work at, and then ultimately picking the company that I did feel most connected to. And before I started working, that was the only thing that existed. Work for me was only like a figment of my imagination or a theory that I thought about or somewhere that I imagined myself being. But when I actually sat in certain rooms with people from all across the world with different kinds of experiences, I sometimes did feel and do feel really small and leave feeling like, no matter how much i try that knowledge gap isn't going to reduce because it feels like i have so much to catch up on on people that i had years of experience and i've spent years and years studying the same things i'm just starting to learn and this isn't just with work it's also with the podcast or maybe sometimes other things that i pursue or we pursue where i myself have felt this sense of frustration where it feels like I'm stuck or uninspired or unable to do something that I really want because somehow I've convinced myself that I'm not worthy of being in the rooms that I'm in. And that can be such a fatal flaw and it can be such a a demotivating feeling and experience to have. The impact of feeling this heavy imposter syndrome and the most frustrating side effect of this is feeling like you can't change something that you want to change because you undermine your own ability. This idea that we take a version of ourselves that we believe is less capable or less intelligent and we decide that our fate somehow looks like what we look like on our worst days. Think about that. Like we judge ourselves and our competence based on how we think we perform on our weakest, worst days. At the same time, We judge others for how they look or how they are on their best days. And we continue to internalize that fact to mean that we aren't good enough to do what we do, right? So not only are we undermining our own abilities by putting ourselves on the lowest platform that we can but we're also putting the ability of others on a pedestal internalizing that insecurity and ultimately what this does is it increases the gap between what we want to be and what we are in the most negative way that in no way makes it more motivating or makes you want to overcome that imposter syndrome and that's the reason why sometimes it's difficult to pull yourself out of that spiral and learn confidence at that point You're not fighting a fair fight with your mind. And you're only looking for the negatives. And so what can we do? How can we start to unpack our imposter syndrome, start overcoming it, and feel and think about our abilities at work differently? The first thing is, I want us to stop using the word imposter syndrome. Even though that is the title, probably, of this episode, and and the term we've most definitely used for like 80% of, of this podcast episode. Regardless, the reason i petition that we stop using using the word imposter syndrome is because we label ourselves with a lot of heaviness that comes with that word syndrome that word that subconsciously triggers a lot of meanings of incompetence or anxiety And the reason I say that is because the feeling of feeling mildly anxious at work, of feeling uncomfortable, of having doubt, is a very normal feeling. And I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the fact that the only reason your worst thoughts are so loud is because you're in your own head and you're listening to them on repeat. But a big part of that is because a lot of the times it's easier to indulge that spiral than get out of it and stop that thinking and that headspace. So I want us to take a step back validate our own feelings and recognize that it's okay to have that sense of doubt, that it's okay to not be good at the things that we start right away and ease into that feeling instead of labeling our ourselves and saying I'm experiencing imposter syndrome which makes me a fraud at the things I'm doing because I'm not really meant to be here. It's almost like we're waiting for another shoe to drop or quote-unquote waiting for someone else to recognize that we're not competent because we somehow have have deemed ourselves incompetent by like I said before judging ourselves on the basis of how we perform on our worst days and keep in mind everyone has their shittiest days so that's point number one I think we need to ban the word imposter syndrome which for the rest of this episode we're going to use just to prove a point but I want us to step away and really think about the implications of labeling ourselves with terms that may have a way heavier subconscious impact on our minds than we think they do the second thing that has helped me start overcoming this sense of imposter syndrome has been to share and find support now imposter syndrome gets worse in your head because it's manufactured by your own mind to trick you into thinking that you're not good enough again it's not that you're actually bad at something you do it's your mind playing tricks on you it's a confidence problem it's a self-esteem issue in a lot of ways again which is normal but it is 90% of the time in our head in fact the term imposter syndrome itself was coined by by doctors Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes i hope i'm saying her name correctly after they conducted a study on a group of graduate school women and students who they found felt like they were inadequate or experienced feelings of anxiety when it came to their worthiness, regardless of the achievements that they'd had. So these were really successful, high-performing women who weren't sure that they were performing well, even when they were, in fact, successful at what they did. Point being, even the study that originally found or coined the term imposter phenomenon recognized that it was an internalized feeling more than a fact itself. And so once you've validated that feeling of yours, I've found that when I'm experiencing it, The most important and helpful thing has been to actually talk with someone in the field that i'm in and ask for feedback recently when i was struggling with imposter syndrome at work i spoke to my manager i scheduled a one-on-one with her i had a feedback session and when i did she actually had a really positive reaction we talked about how she's felt imposter syndrome and how she'd struggled with how she got to the position that she is at right now and the fact that someone i looked up to as a role model also experienced something like feeling incompetent made me feel safer you know it made me feel like and you realize that that this that it's more that everyone experiences it and you're not a fraud or unsuccessful it's just that you're human and chances are if you're feeling it others have faulted too and so i think the number one thing i would say is Share your feelings and find a support system at work, at school, wherever you are, with your friends. Talk to people that are role models that you look up to that have 100% experienced imposter syndrome at some point in their career and ask them how they overcame it. Ask them what they did to do better and chances are most people are going to want to listen and going to want to mentor you and going to want to help. The next thing I want us to remember is to rethink the word syndrome. The word syndrome has a very negative connotation associated with it, right? Like we spoke about this. It disrupts your sense of self, makes you question who you are. Honestly, it just comes with a sense of heaviness associated with it. But what if I told you that imposter syndrome may not be as bad as we think it is? A study by Dr. Tufik found that workers with imposter syndrome in a group working dynamic or team dynamic actually ranked higher on a scale of interpersonal relationships without it impacting their productivity. What that means is, when this study was conducted, it found that individuals who experienced imposter syndrome overcompensated by developing stronger relationships with their team by making sure that they were hearing everyone's point of view by asking more clarifying questions by ensuring that they were part of the team dynamic and were working effectively in the team itself which made them more of a team player and improved those interpersonal relationships all of this without compromising their productivity that is the most important part of that sentence right like This study didn't just find that those with with imposter syndrome had, had better interpersonal relationships but it also found that this happened without reducing their productivity. So it wasn't like they were overcompensating for a lack of something but just that it made them more empathetic in their work environments. Now this in no way means that imposter syndrome is good but it also means that it isn't bad. Because what it is ultimately doing is that subconsciously your mind is finding ways for you to become better and grow when it suddenly thinks that you're not good at something. right? And so if you think that you're bad at something, you try and put in more effort to work hard, which eventually impacts the people around you and makes your team dynamic a little stronger. I am in no way saying that imposter syndrome makes you a better empath and therefore makes you better at work. Correlation is not causation. But it's just interesting to note that those who experience imposter syndrome are likely to be better team players again once we reframe the issue and think away and move away from the thinking that imposter syndrome is this big bad wolf that we're never going to get over or we're never going to or we're never going to crawl away from it's helpful to reframe the issue in our minds so that it gets a little easier to work on it and think okay maybe i think that i'm not necessarily performing the strongest in this way but at the same time but we just reframe the issue in our minds so that we can work on actually getting better at it and the last and final piece of advice that has helped me get over my imposter syndrome is never stop learning i found that the more i learn the more confident i am and the better i feel about myself for me that means learning something academically new every single week or reading more or, con- or consuming more knowledge Basically, when I do anything that expands my mind and helps me learn something that I didn't know before, like a new fact even, it makes me more confident and makes me feel like I'm doing better in my place of work, even if it necessarily isn't something that's related to my field of work. And so you have to push your brain to continue learning so that you don't feel like you've peaked in your learning capacity after college, which can sometimes happen if we only spend time thinking about the subject matter that we consume at work. For you, that, that could also just mean learning more about something that you're passionate about, whether that's an art form, whether that's a new hobby you want to pick up, um, learning a new skill, whatever it is, or it could be to get smarter at what you do do at work. That is also another way to expand your horizon. But even when you do learn something in your field of work, invest time in doing that outside of your work itself right for example if you're working nine to five and you work in finance and you shut off your laptop that urge to learn something to honestly genuinely get better at it means that you have to go the extra mile after work to do some extra reading maybe pick up the wall street journal call your call an old friend who you knew was really good at finance in college and like ask them about the things they know The more you learn in your own time, the more you solidify your own view of yourself and the likelier you are to feel confident in in the things that you do. And that is exactly what getting over imposter syndrome is. It's just reframing your thinking and becoming more confident at the things that you already know deep down that you're good at. Anyways, I hope this episode made you feel a little more confident, made you feel a little more seen and validated Any possible feelings that you may have of imposter syndrome going into this new year and getting back into work. Nothing is unlearnable, nothing is too difficult as long as we put our minds to it and imposter syndrome and getting over this feeling is just a matter of truly committing to blocking out the noise that comes from within and having this sort of blind faith in our own abilities. So with that, I hope you have an amazing rest of your week or weekend whenever you're listening to this if you want to please consider leaving a rating or a review for the podcast on apple or spotify and reach out to me dm me tell me what you think about this tell me if you've been experiencing imposter syndrome i want to talk about it i love this community that we've built and i can't wait to see where 2024 takes us